Well, welcome here this morning. Uh, my name is Liam, and the first thing I'd like to just say is well done for making the good choice of coming to the 11.30 service this morning. I um, saw, saw some of you had a nice lie-in, and of course, if you have children, what well, am I getting up at seven and entertaining them for four hours to then come here? Um, so, so good to see so many, many of you here. And I've actually already watched the 9.30 on the live stream. I've seen Carlos do his talk, and my aim is to just basically nick his best illustrations and basically, yeah, take all the good things from his. Um, so I'm hoping this is going to be a bit of a, a different take on the same passage we're doing, but also I think this shows, he mentioned actually the beauty that you can take this passage we're going to be looking at and preach it in so many different ways. So as I've said, my name is Liam, married to Prisca. Uh, we've been based here at 502 for the last couple of years, and we're part of the, the wider team here at this site. Um, and really excited to be kicking off this brand new series we're doing, which is called Encounters with Jesus. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be going through the Gospels and looking at how an encounter with Jesus changes lives for an individual each week. And my big heart for us today is that not only do we see that Jesus wants to encounter us, but actually in the encounter that you and I have, when we leave this hall, we go outside into the real world, all those people that we are to encounter through Jesus. So I hope it's a nice mix of encouragement. I'm also going to try and poke us a little bit, so I hope that's all right, and just kind of stir us to some action at the end. That, that's my big heart behind what we're doing here. So Encounter with Jesus, the story we're going to be looking at today is the woman of Samaria, or the woman at the well, uh, I don't know how you've thought about this before. I normally call it the woman at the well. And this is a fascinating story between Jesus and a woman. Um, and the first thing before we read, I'd just really like to pick out just a little thing about the book of John. So we're going to be in John 4 for this morning. And John is a very different gospel to the other three. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics as we call them, focus very much on what Jesus did and what Jesus said, John is very different, and it focuses on a different mission. So I almost feel like he's getting into an investigator type of mode here. And John's big question is this, who is Jesus? We've all read the Bible, I'm assuming. Some of us have seen what Jesus has done and what he said. But actually, who is Jesus? What is this claim that Jesus is actually making? Why did he actually come in the first place? What did he want to achieve? And John, almost like an investigator, is going to prompt us this morning to say, right, all of you, Gateway Church, this is who Jesus is. What are you going to do about it? What do you say about his claim? So my big two aims, I'd love to talk about the claim of Jesus in this story, and then also talk about the character of Jesus. And that's where we're going to be headed. So we are John 4. We're going to be 1 to 18, and then we're just going to take a, a cut there and go straight to 39 to 42 as a, a bit of a, a bookend. So it's going to come up on the screen here. Bibles are either sides if you'd like them. And I'm going to read that for us now. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. But what you have just said is quite true. And I'm just going to skip forward to the end of the story, entitled, Many Samaritans Believe, from verse 39. Or as I put there, I know it is 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So can you see here the case that John is presenting to us, the readers, about who Jesus is? Have you gathered that? I think a headline you can make of this story is that Jesus wants us to see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God who has come to offer life, and not just life to us, but life to all. And it is a free gift. And it's, I love how it ends there with, we really know this man is the saviour of the world. That is what John wants you to take away as you read this today. Because let's be honest, everybody is searching everybody is thirsty for something in life. Now, we know the circumstance of this woman. We know her first. She'd already had five husbands. She was at the well at a time when no one else was there. She was an outcast. She'd made life choices. She is a woman who is thirsty for more than just physical water. But note how Jesus just comes in. He meets her right where she is. She doesn't have to go to him. He goes to the well part of her daily routine, just in the thickness of her life, right where the muck is, Jesus is there waiting with her. He says, I'm the person you need. Seek no more. Now, of course, being thirsty and living water, uh, that's a, a bit of a metaphor for us, and it can be confusing, but what it's talking about is just the spiritual thirst in our souls, in our hearts. We're all made, we literally just sang in the song there that we are restless until we find our rest in God. We're all made with this longing, with this thirst. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why am I created? How do I find ultimate satisfaction? And the answer is in this story. And we try and quench our thirst in lots of ways in one-day society. We do it through our work, through our finances, through our ability to go on adventure or to pursue pleasure, or actually through our family, through legacy, through having children, through leaving something that even when we're not here anymore, we still matter. But these things never truly satisfy. I remember myself being at university, even though I was 19, I was already at this point. Tried lots of rubbish, done what the world told me to do, and I felt like an absolute wreck. I felt rubbish. And I realized through that, and through the fact that my heart was yearning for something more, that actually I needed Jesus. 
And it took me actually realizing the world, what it offers, does not get you where you need to get for me to then think, right, I need something more, just as this woman did. And the picture of the well is such a, a lovely and challenging illustration for us. And a question for you is, what are you going to the well to for this morning? Where is your source? If it's not Jesus, what is your source that you're going to each day to fill up, to find meaning, to be refreshed? Because I can tell you for a fact, if it's not Jesus, this is your central well, you're going to be going back there for the rest of your life, every day, to refill, because it simply does not satisfy. This woman would have had to come back to the well every single day to get water that simply did not satisfy. That well would have dried up key message for us this morning. Um, so the heat wave last week, I just suddenly thought about this in my planning. I love our tabloids. They're hilarious. Um, I'm sure you agree that it was super scorchio last week. Um, and that if you didn't realize, it was hotter here than in India, Pakistan, Algeria, and Ethiopia, where actually it's quite normal, and they don't react in the way that we do and think the world is actually going to implode on itself. It, yeah, it's embarrassing. But in many ways, life without Jesus as our source, as our well, is like a constant heat wave. Life comes. How, how many of you last week were just living under a tap and just having bottle after bottle of water? And actually, if you went to the beach, it was right, well, where's the nearest ice cream? Where's the nearest water? Where are the loos? Actually, we cannot survive long. Life is like a heat wave. And actually, if you're not going to the source that is Jesus, we're just going to thirst. And the reaction is panic. And yeah, still cracks me up when I look at that. So are we thirsty this morning? Because this passage shows us that a return, eternal relationship with God is on the table for everybody. And that's the case that Jesus put forward. But note, there's a, there's a response that has to be made. So Jesus comes to this woman and says, well, if you really knew what you were talking about, you would be asking for water that does not run dry, and I would give you that gift. She could have easily said, no, I'm all right, thank you. I'm just going to get my water. There's a weird guy sat here talking to me. I'm off. And she could have just gone. We don't often think about that. But actually, she says, no, verse 15, she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and so that I don't have to keep coming back here. She says, give me this water. So there's lots of debate. Um, if you read lots of books about this, people would say, does she really know what she's talking about? Does she know that actually God is talking about spiritual water and new life and living water? Or is she, does she really think there's this drink she can have? But the fact that she says, give me this water, she knows it's not the well in front of her. So she knows it's not physical water that she can gain. So she's beginning to have things unpacked. Her lens is coming off, and she's seeing that this man is actually offering something amazing. So we almost come to a verdict. Whether you're here as a Christian today, or whether you're in church for the first time, you have no idea who this guy Jesus actually is, you've got a response to make. Is Jesus who he says he is, based on this? Is he faithful, or is he not? And actually, you're going to get your bucket and go. It's up to you. John's heart is pretty clear with this encounter, that you need to know Jesus is our saviour, meets us where we're at, and he wants to fill the void in our hearts. We've already said this woman is not in a good place, but she ends up going to the village after this and saying, I've encountered this man who's told me everything I've done in my life, he has changed my outlook, he's given me this living water, and many others come to be saved. That's the encounter, that's the power of an encounter with Jesus, and we can have that all this morning. So my second point is this, the character of Jesus. So I think for John, if you're presenting a claim, we're all very logical here, especially in the West. We want to know, if I'm going to put my trust in someone and believe a claim, what, what kind of person is this guy? What's his character like? Is he going to be faithful to me? 
Is he someone who stands up for the right things? Is he actually going to be loyal? And so I've picked out just three things from the story here that I would love us to look at that reinforce the claim, but also the guy behind the claim, and that this is someone you want to follow, and this is the beauty of a Messiah. And all of these three things hopefully will show us that this offer is for all people, not just us at Gateway, not just the church worldwide, for all people, no matter what we may think about others. Okay, so my first one is this. Jesus challenges gender inequality in this story. For Jesus to go up to this woman at the well, the time that he did, one-on-one with a woman of her stature, a Samaritan woman, was not done. And if you need any proof for that, we didn't read this verse, but verse 27, it'll come up, says this. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? So I find this really helpful because even in the Jesus circle, the redeemed circle of people who know what it's like to have a saviour in your midst, that was still countercultural for them. It wasn't like, oh, you know, we've got it all together, but actually these people in society, oh, they, they, they treat women like second-class citizens. Even the disciples thought, you don't do that. That's not how we operate. It was completely countercultural and revolutionary to that time in that first century, which I just find amazing. He didn't worry about what people thought of him. I love this about Jesus. So often now we have to worry about political correctness or don't say this or you're going to get cancelled or what you're saying on social media. If Jesus was here right now walking the earth still, he would say the same message he did back then. He would be true to himself, true to his values, that we are all equal no matter who you are, no matter what your sex is, and no matter what your standing is. And of course, people often take issue with this exact fact. They don't like the Bible because they think it's male-centric and it's oppressive to women. Well, stories like this completely debunk that. Now, of course, the Christian faith is male-centric. I'm not going to apologize for that because the main guy is Jesus, and he is male. So that's not a topic for discussion. But there are so many stories where Jesus speaks to women in a countercultural way. Some of the first people who ever see him rise from the dead are women. People who testify about him are women. It's an amazing story. Um, and uh, this author, Rebecca McLaughlin, she says this in her book, Confronting Christianity, which I'm sure many of you have already read. She says this, Jesus' valuing of women is mis- unmistakable. In a culture in which women were devalued, often exploited, underscores their equal status before God and his desire for personal relationship with them. So all of this is covered by the fact that he wants a personal relationship with all of us, with the woman at the well, with all of you, with me. He wants you. He wants the person, not all the things that make up your life or your choices. He wants you and your heart. So my second point is this. Jesus challenges racism and discrimination. And this is where you'll think, oh, my word, a white man is about to talk about racism and discrimination. Please don't. But I'm going to for a couple of minutes, because for me, this is a a really personal thing that I'm learning at the moment, and I feel I can give a little bit of an insight onto this, but there is something key about the fact that Jesus is A, in Samaria in the first place, and it says there was a Samaritan woman. It doesn't just say an outcast woman or a random woman. It makes you know straight away she is from this area, she's part of this culture, and Jesus is a Jew is clashing with that culture. It's completely done deliberately. If you're listening to that at the time, you'd be thinking, oh, this is not going to end well. Why has he gone there? Why has he not gone round? Because it was a divine appointment, that's why. 
The Samaritan woman says as such, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate themselves with Samaritans, so she knows it. It's been etched into her education that actually you do not cross. You don't have a conversation unless it's like business or goods. And we see elsewhere in the Gospels exactly the same thing. So in Luke 9, 51, a couple of verses which will come up, says this, at the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now we're going to unpack that in one minute, just what that means politically. But also think about the Good Samaritan, most popular Sunday school message you'll have heard, the Good Samaritan. Again, I think it's really hard for us to put ourselves back into that culture. But for you to be listening to this, already told you that actually out of the three people who went past, we've got a priest, you've got a Levite, and you've got a Samaritan, you would bet your house on the first two stopping for that man who was injured. The last person you would ever expect is for a Samaritan to stop. And we just think, oh, that's nice, that's a nice story. But if you're reading that as a Samaritan, that blows your mind. And if you're reading that as a Jew, you're like, no, can't be serious. They would never do that for us. It's deliberately shocking, and Jesus uses that because he wants us to feel the clash on that. So Samaritan versus Jew, politically opposed, historically opposed, because the Jews saw the Samaritans as a compromised sect of Judaism. So they'd gone their own way. They'd intermarried with Babylonians, so they were literally mixed ethnicity. So remember that, because it's hard to see how people would have looked when you're reading a text. But they were mixed ethnicity. Their worship practices were different. So, of course, the central point for the Jewish faith is Jerusalem, which is why we now see back in that Luke text that there was so much angst towards Jesus going, because to Samaritans, that was not okay, because they believed that the true sanctuary of God, where you worship God, is actually Mount Gerizim, which is a completely different place. So going to Jerusalem, they were like, no, we're not going to help you, Jesus, because you're theologically all over the place. You're not in the right place. So there was hatred. There was racism. Discrimination was everywhere. But I love this. I read this commentary from a man called William Hendrickson. He says, but our Lord's loving kindness overleaped the boundaries of national hatred. Our Lord's loving kindness overleaps the boundaries of national hatred. All Jesus was interested in was her heart. It's a lesson for us. Not her ethnicity or her nationality. wasn't judging her on any of those things. But at the same time, he was culturally sensitive. Do you notice that? He doesn't come in like a bull in a china shop and upset her and offend and say, oh, as a Samaritan, you need all the help you can get. Come and listen to me. He meets her exactly where she is, treats her with respect. He knows her background. He knows that this is not a meeting that would be looked upon favorably. And he does the whole thing with such grace and with such gentleness. And it just makes me think, how often in our world do we judge people based on their skin color, their nationality, their political leanings, their background, How often do we do that before we say, oh, yeah, you're an image bearer like me. You are made in the image of God. I do that. I'm pretty sure all of us judge people, stereotype people, mislabel people. And that's not what Jesus wants us to do as his church. And just to illustrate some of this, um, I'd love to just let you into the world of the marriage that I have. So me and Prisco married. The observant among you will see that I'm white. Prisco is black. I know you're surprised to hear that. But we are... We are from completely different cultures, 
we have grown up very differently. We see the world very differently naturally through our educations that we've had. And I've been so convicted in the five years that I've been married to Prisca because it's completely blown my perspective. I've grown up as a white man in a white education system that has taught me certain things about history. She has grown up in a completely different culture that has taught her so much more about what it actually means to be from a different culture. Don't know why I'm crying, sorry. It's embarrassing you. <laughs> and I think for us in our marriage, it's a constant exposure for me an education to what it's actually like to love people who are different to us. And I think it's been, I thank God every day that he's given me a wife who's different to me, geographically, but also in the way that she's wired. And I think for us, we need to be better at, when we encounter others to be loving like Jesus was and not to judge other people in the way that we've seen it. And just some examples. I've spoken to Prisco about this. She's given me permission to do this. Some of the things that we faced, and particularly her, but it affects us both because we're one, in UK churches. So I'm not saying this church, I'm saying in UK churches in the last 10 years, we've experienced some things that have shocked us. Such as people assuming that Prisca speaks Swahili because a couple have just come back from Kenya and assume that she must be from Kenya. Or people saying, I'll move my dog away because I know Africans don't like dogs. Or actually touching her hair because she's got an afro or braids, which to us seems perfectly reasonable, but actually it others you. It makes you think, actually, I don't belong here. I look different to everybody else. It's not just a personal space. If I came up to John and I rustled his hair, I'd expect him to try and floor me. <laughs> try being the key word. <laughs> It was meant to be rich that there, I'm sorry. It was meant to be rich. Um, <laughs> so I'd, I'd just love us to be more culturally aware of the people around us. And I'm just using this example because this is the marriage I'm in. And for us, this is a particular area of need. But racism and discrimination goes just beyond skin color. It goes on about identity. It goes on about politics, where people have come from, their worldview, how they've been shaped but it's something that really affects us. In no way should anyone come into this church, as we've experienced, and they should see a group of black people sat at the front, and my wife walks in, and instantly they say, oh, you guys are over there, assuming that she's come to church, and she must be with these people because they're also black. We've, we've literally had that walking into a church. So that's why it's pressing for me. And just these experiences just highlight a, a lack of cultural awareness. And I'm not having a go at the church. I'm not having a go at any individuals. But as a collective, we need to do better. And actually, Jesus says discrimination is not okay. And this should be the most open, inclusive place in the world, right? This should be the place that anybody can come, and they will never face any of that hostility. No stereotyping, no biases, no just outright racism. That should not be here. And Jesus clearly debunks all of this in this story. So I'd just like to challenge us just to model what he's demonstrated. So whether that's reading up on racial injustice, getting yourself educated in books. We did a podcast during the pandemic where myself and Matthew Hosier sat down with Prisca and Luanga and Blessings 
all people from this congregation, and they just told us their stories of all the ways that they have felt discriminated against, made to be othered and feel different in our society. And it was eye-opening. It was horrific to hear. So I just urge you, start your education today. If you haven't thought anything of it, jump on YouTube, listen to that, read some books, speak to people who are not like you. And again, this, there's so many examples. I'm not just talking about someone who's literally not your skin color. But it's such a, an important thing for us to do. As we try and model Jesus, that's what we're all about. And finally, I just want to touch on Jesus' um, approach to challenging social division. So let's just review where this woman is right now in society and just the desperate state she was in. So first off, she was a woman. So I've already mentioned that as a woman, she would have been seen as second rate. B, she was a divorced woman, multiple divorcee. And in Jewish law, that would have meant she's an adulterer. She was an outcast, seen by the fact that she was at the well by herself, and also the time of the day. She's in the hottest period of the day, getting water. The done thing would have been to go early in the morning when it's cool. But she was alienated from that group, so she's doing it in the heat of the day by herself. And she was a Samaritan. We've already unpicked that. So she was discriminated against. She would have had daily hostility because of who she was and the history of her people. But the beautiful thing, Jesus comes along and breaks down all of these barriers with one conversation. It's amazing. If you just go through that text when you go home and he just literally ticks off all these things, breaks down each barrier with one woman at the well. And I don't even know how long that conversation would have been. It wasn't long. But he shows us an amazing way to do evangelism and to love people. He doesn't judge her or condemn her. He takes compassion, and it's not a case of as she reveals things about her life, he goes, oh, the, the contract is you know, slowly coming back towards me. I'm not sure you're going to get it. The offer is on the table for her from the minute he sits down to the minute he leaves. Nothing that you've done here today disqualifies you from knowing Jesus, from getting that living water, having eternal life. I'm sure you're not in a, as bad a position as that woman was, so we could all count ourselves very fortunate for where we live today but we just need to love people well. The offer is on the table for all. And I just want to finish with this illustration. So I'm a, a pastor's kid, and I think definitely one of the worst things about growing up as a, a pastor's kid, A, that your dad wears a dog collar like that, but also the fact that when you're at school and your dad comes in to do assemblies, your social cred just goes through the floor, and people will just laugh at you for the rest of the week because, ah, oh, your dad's come in and he's talking about Jesus. What a loser. And so I had to deal with that at school quite often, but... I think one of the best things, apart from obviously being raised in a, a family that loves Jesus, is the fact that you get some really nice houses. So you get some lovely vicarages. So this is us in Chipping Camden in Gloucestershire. It was a lovely building that we had, massive garden for me to play football and cricket and things like that. And what I noticed, I was literally that age, I wasn't particularly aware of what was going on, but we used to get a lot of visitors to our vicarage. And they'd often be travelers, they'd be people who are struggling, they'd be homeless, they'd be people who are addicts. And they would come to us quite naturally, knock on the door, and they would be expecting a cup of tea and a jam sandwich. And so this would happen every week, literally every week. I mean, in the parish we're in, I don't know whether this is just a Church of England thing, but it's like everybody talks and knows, ah, the pastor man lives at this house. So if you've got any issues, just rock up and he'll love you. And so I've, the amount of times I was sent in the kitchen to go make a jam sandwich, and in my heart, I hate making sandwiches, these guys were terrifying, lots of them were rough, they were in my house, and I was like, why do we do this? We invited one woman over for Christmas lunch. 
which was like sacrilege for me. I wanted to just have my family at the table, and I had a random woman eating turkey with me, and I actually was quite angry, um, which is embarrassing to say now, but there was something on that house that meant we were a refuge, and I just think for us as a church, we should be like that. We should be just like that vicarage where people feel like they come here, not judged no matter who they are, and that they will be accepted and loved and given a jam sandwich if they come to gatherers or if they come to Gatehouse. And that's why I'm just so looking forward to what Gatehouse is going to do. Like Rich has done an amazing job in just getting that going. Oasis, Haley, what she's done is amazing. These things really, really matter. These should be central pillars of our church. And so I just ask, pray for it at least. Get involved if you've got time. But we need to be people where people talk around these streets. Oh, yeah, I need to come to Gateway Church to be fed. Not just jam, but also the gospel and to get spiritual food as well. So I'm just going to finish with this question. Are we willing to model Jesus and cross some lines in 2022? Are we willing to just be a little bit dangerous, to not be comfortable, not to just do what society does, but actually to be distinct? And um, author Trillia Newbell says this brilliant quote, which kind of sums up everything we've been talking about so far. She says, cultural lines, religious lines, ethnic lines, gender lines, mark dramatic rings around the well. But here's the thing about Jesus. He's not afraid to cross lines. I love that. It's like what I said, in one conversation, you just blew all of these massive social issues out the water that we face even today. It feels like we're getting further and further away on these issues than we should. But Jesus modeled that in one encounter. For the next five weeks, we're going through loads of other encounters where you're going to see this repeatedly happen. And it's just amazing that our Savior came to earth to just banish all of these things. If you're a woman, he loves you. If you're a man, he loves you. If you've been homeless, he loves you. If you have addiction issues, he loves you. If you feel like an outcast in your own society, he loves you. No matter your ethnicity, he loves you. And I just find it such an amazing encounter. One person, but the whole village hears about it. And many, it says, come to know Jesus. So for some of you this morning, you'll be thinking, right, okay, I've heard this claim. Sounds like a nice guy. What do I do about this? What I would say, test it. Ask Jesus to come into your life today in whatever way suits you. We're going to have communion in a minute where it's simply an opportunity for us to come back to the well. Imagine it is that well. And actually, instead of going to our own wells where we know it doesn't satisfy, we're going to come to the table, the well, and we're going to be filled afresh. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us on that cross. If you're a believer here this morning, the ultimate barrier that Jesus crossed above all these things was that you were all dead. You were all gone in your sin. And Jesus died on the cross so that you can have freedom, you can have eternal life. This offer, if you're a Christian today, is already yours. You've already got the living water. You've got eternal life. You've got Jesus. Just be thankful for that. Remember the day that you got saved. Think about your testimony. I mentioned mine earlier at university. What was yours? Just constantly replay that as you go to the table today. And if for the first time you're thinking, yeah, I'm really thirsty, I want to know more about this, come talk to me, come talk to Rich, John, one of the leaders, get people to pray around you, and let's push into that, because we'd, yeah, we'd love to just have, have your questions, get to know you, and work out how we can introduce Jesus to you better. And ultimately, if you're a Christian here, and you are dry, or you feel like, yeah, I, I need a fresh encounter with Jesus, 
again, when we're at the table, if we could just afterwards break into groups, pray for one another, fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I want to encounter you this morning. Speak to me about how I can love people better and model you. Then I think we've had a good morning if we can do that. So I'm just going to pray for us. Uh, If the band would like to come back up. And then we will respond. Yeah, Father, thank you so much that this gospel is all about exploring who you are. Thank you that the claim is that your son came as a saviour of the world and that we can know you, Jesus, personally. You love us all. You see our hearts. You know our life story. And Jesus, we just say, we're all thirsty. There's, all, there's always more of you we want. And so we just ask you to just meet with each one of us now, maybe encounter you fresh this morning, and just come to know you more, fall more in love with you, And if there's any kind of doubt that thinks I'm not good enough, or actually, no, if you look at my track record, Jesus is not going to be impressed, just show them that woman at the well. And thank you so much that your grace goes way above any sin. And would people just come to know you this morning? Would people be refreshed this morning in your amazing name, we pray. Amen.